You're listening to a message from Stonegate Church. For more information about Stonegate and additional audio resources, please visit Stonegate.Church. Okay, Deuteronomy chapter 5. It would be helpful to have that out and open there on your laps this morning. So we are taking another step in our set of sermons called Seeing Jesus in the Old Testament, which in a lot of ways is driven by an underlying conviction that we need the whole Bible to make whole Christians. And we need the whole Bible because the, the Bible, all 66 books, both the Old and the New Testament, are telling one grand story about one great person, and his name is Jesus. And, and to make a whole Christian, we need that whole story that starts in Genesis and ends in Revelation. So we're spending time in the Old Testament, and here's the aim. Uh, together, we want to learn how to see Jesus on every page of the scriptures. And today, we're going to be in the Ten Commandments. We're, we're going to think together about the law, the, the law that we find in, in the Bible. So think about the Old Testament for a moment with me. Uh, there are 613 laws. So 248 do's and 365 don'ts. And then in Exodus chapter 20 and in Deuteronomy chapter 5, you have those 613 laws all condensed down into these 10 laws called the 10 commandments. All of them condensed down right here in Deuteronomy chapter 5. And I just want to make a few observations and make a few points out of Deuteronomy chapter 5. I want us to see that I want us to see the law's giver, the law's purpose, and the law's perfect keeper. The law's giver, the law's purpose, and the law's perfect keeper. So we'll start with the law's giver. The law's giver. When you're thinking about the Ten Commandments, it's important that you see what's first. And the Ten Commandments don't start with a list of things to do and not do. They start with God. That's that's the beginning of the Ten Commandments. It starts with with the person of God. Look at verse 6. This is the preamble to the Ten Commandments. This is the introduction to the Ten Commandments in verse 6. And the first six words of the preamble that that introduced the Ten Commandments start like this. I am the Lord your God. I am the Lord your God. That's the introduction to the Ten Commandments. I am the Lord your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery. What's most important about the Ten Commandments is the person speaking them, namely God. So so more than even what they they tell us to do or don't do, the most important thing is the God who is behind them saying them. That's the most important thing. The most important thing to consider is not their implications for our lives, but what they tell us about our God. God's law reveals the character of God's heart. That The law reveals the lawgiver. So let me just read through the Ten Commandments really briefly here, and and let's just think together about what they say of God, how they they enlighten us about God, what what they reveal about the character and the heart of God. And listen, I'm just going to scratch the surface. You should maybe do this as an exercise or as homework. So I'm just scratching the surface for what would be such a helpful, good thing for, for you to do as you read through the Ten Commandments. But let me just read through them really briefly here. Command number one in verse seven. You shall have no other gods before me. What does that show us about God? It shows us that God is unique. He is the one true God. There are many counterfeit gods, but there is no God like this God. That's what commandment one shows us. It shows us that God is sovereign. He makes absolute claims over everyone and everything like worship me alone. 
He's sovereign. He's unique. Commandment number two, starting in verse eight. You shall not make for yourself a carved image or any likeness of anything that is in heaven above or that is on the earth beneath or that is in the water under the earth. You shall not bow down to them or serve them. For I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God visiting the iniquity of the fathers on their children to the third and fourth generation of those who hate me, but showing steadfast love to thousands of those who love me and keep my commandments. Uh, Commandment number two is about worshiping the right God in the right way. That's what it's about. So, So what does it show us about God? It is showing us something about the size and the beauty and the magnificence of God. That the size of God is, is beyond our, our mental grasp. That, that we, our minds can't take in the beauty and the magnificence of who God is. That, that's, what, that, that that's what commandment number two is showing us about God. Which is why God says, when you worship me, don't reduce me down into something that you can comprehend like a carved idol. Don't do that. But no, I want you to worship me in a way that honors, in a way that, that, that shows how big and mind-blowing that I am. So, so worship me in the right way. And in light of my bigness, don't reduce me down into something that you can kind of see and get a sense of and, and get some handlebars for it. No, 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 I'm not that kind of God. I am too big for that, too great for that, too magnificent for that. Commandment number three, verse 11. You shall not take the name of the Lord your God in vain, for the Lord will not hold him guiltless who takes his name in in vain. This commandment shows us that God is ultimately honorable. You will not find another being in the universe more deserving of reverence and respect than this God. That's That's what commandment three shows us. It also shows us that God is just. He's not to be trifled with, that wrath, that provoked attribute is in God, that that it's there, that that he's just. Commandment number four, verse 12, observe the Sabbath day to keep it holy as the Lord your God commanded you. Now, what does that show us about God? It shows us that God is not a slave driver. Aren't we grateful for that? that? That's not who God is. We don't have a God whose aim is to use us. We have a God who wants to walk us into freedom and flourishing. We have the sort of God that that we worship in the scriptures, but we have the the type of God and the sort of God who loves to remind his kids that, 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 hey, listen, you are not a human doing. You are a human being. God loves to remind us of that. This is the sort of God we see in the scriptures, in in these commandments. Uh, Command number five, honor your father and your mother as the Lord your God commanded you that your days may be long and that it may go well with you in the land that the Lord your God is giving you. Uh, Commandment number five deals with authority and submission. And behind that command stands God, who is the ultimate authority. Every other version of authority in your life, boss, law enforcement, government official, uh, every other version of authority in your life all finds its, its culminate, it, it all culminates in, in, in God. He is the one that is ultimately in charge, the one in ultimate authority. And he's a rewarder. He loves to bless and bestow good gifts to his kids. Commandment number six, you see it in verse 17. You shall not murder. But behind that command is a God who loves life. 
loves to see life flourish, loves to love his sons and daughters. Uh, Commandment number seven, verse 18, and you shall not commit adultery. Behind the curtain of that command is a God who is always faithful. He's always faithful. He's always faithful to his bride, the church. He's always faithful to bless her, to endure with her, to love her. He is a faithful covenant-keeping God. In in, uh, command eight, verse 19, and you shall not steal. Behind that command is a generous God. He doesn't take, he's a giver. Uh, Verse uh, 20 is command nine, and you shall not bear false witness against your neighbor. Behind that command is an honest God. He always tells the truth. There is no such thing as a lie in him. His word is dependable and durable. It's trustworthy. And then you get to command number 10 in verse 21. And you shall not covet your neighbor's wife, and you shall not desire your neighbor's house, his field, his male servant, or his female servant, his ox, or his donkey, or anything that is your neighbor's. Now, what's behind that? That's a a command for contentment. What's behind that command for contentment? Behind that command for contentment stands a God who says, I am enough for you. I'm enough for you. You you know those deep longings in your heart for joy and happiness and significance and and security and and, and control. You you know all those desires in you for those things? They all find their fulfillment in you. I and I'm alone can satisfy those longings. I'm the only one in the universe that can do that. That's the God behind commandment number 10. It's the God who says, I really am the bread of life. And whoever comes to me will never hunger. And whoever believes in me will never thirst again. That God is behind commandment 10. And that's the most important thing for us to see when we come to the 10 commandments. It's not what it says that we should do or not do. It is the God behind them, the one true God that they introduce. This kind-hearted God, this trustworthy God, this gracious God, this holy God who is unlike an other, every other thing in the universe. It's that God that the law shows us. It's that God who stands behind the 10 commandments, that stands behind his law. That's the law's giver. Now let's think through the law's purpose. Why did God give the law? So one answer to that is because it shows and reveals himself. But there's more. Classically, sort of in church history, there have been three ways to talk about the purposes of the law. Three primary purposes. And I'm just gonna use three uh, words that start with M just to help in memorization. But here, here are the three sort of classic reasons that, that, the, law, that the law has been given, its purposes. Uh, the first purpose is that you might think of it in terms of a muzzle, a muzzle. That the law has a, a purpose of restraining evil. Now think about how this works. When a group of people know something's wrong, so they know that, and they know that that when they're caught, they will be punished if they do wrong. So they know it's wrong and they know there's gonna be some enforcement. So they know there's a law that says it's wrong and they know there's gonna be some enforcement. You're gonna get caught and you're gonna get punished if you do wrong. Knowing those two things, that that something is wrong and that if I'm caught, I'm gonna be punished, keeps a lot of people from from doing a lot of wrong things. 
right? That this is one purpose of the law. It has this restraining effect. And, and, and thank God we live in a place who has laws and that are trying to enforce laws. Thank, thank God we live in a place like that because if you live in a place that doesn't have laws or that doesn't enforce laws, what that does is it, is it takes the lid that typically is restraining crazy, it rips that lid off of a group of people, off of a society. And if you want like an illustration of that or, or sort of proof of that, just put eight four-year-olds in a room with no supervision and see what happens. See how many survive, right? You take the law and its enforcement off of a group of people and craziness ensues. So in this way, the law is a muzzle. It's meant to restrain evil. It's meant to keep evil at bay. So, th so that's one purpose of the law. It's a muzzle. Here's the second purpose of the law. It's a map, a map. So it's a muzzle and it's a map to show followers of Jesus how to love God and how to love neighbor. So it's a map showing us what it looks like to do that. Now, let me be clear uh, because there's confusion around this point oftentimes. So let me just say this as clearly as I can. The, the equation of the scriptures is not, if you want rescue, keep the law. That's not the equation of the Bible. The equation of the Bible is you've been rescued, now keep the law. So, so it's not, if you want rescue, keep the law. We don't keep the law in order to be rescued. The, the equation is you've been rescued, now keep the law. In light of us being rescued, the spirit of God is now indwelling us and empowering us. Now we, we can get about keeping the law. This is the context. Look at verse six again. This is the context of the commands, the do's and the don't do's that God gives. I am the Lord your God. Verse six, I am the Lord your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery. God rescued his people from Egypt. That was his first act of grace. I am redeeming and rescuing and saving you. I'm bringing you out of Egypt, grace number one. And then after he gets them out of Egypt, after he redeems and rescues them, then in another act of grace, good-hearted grace, God gave them the law. After rescuing them, he said, now this is what it looks like to love me and, and neighbor. So it's, it's rescue first, then law second. And both of those two things are an act of grace from God, both the rescue and the giving of the law. Now, how, how is it that we can look at the law as, as an act of grace from God? How is the law full of grace? Because it looks like it's just full of a lot of do's and don't do's. So how in the world could it be full of grace? Let me just give you two reasons why it's full of grace. Number one, the, the law is full of grace because the law, the, the Ten Commandments, they line up with reality. It lines up with the way things are. The, 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 the Ten Commandments, the law of God, aligns with the way that God has made us and the world to work. So, so it's, uh, it's aligning in that way. When God tells us to do something or not do something, uh, God is not sitting around thinking about, man, I wonder what new law I can just sort of introduce into their world J just to make their life miserable. That's, that's not the, the script going on. God is the one who is behind creation. God created everything we see. And then the laws of God, the, the do's and the don't do's are God saying, now this is how the world works. This is how you, 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 you do well in the world that I have made. So, so we can ignore the law of God, but, but we can only ignore the, the law of God at our own peril. So let me give you an illustration of it. Um, imagine that you were a fish and imagine that you were a fish that could talk. 
And as a fish that could talk, you decide, you know what? I am sick of living in water. I'm not going to do it anymore. The, the days of me in water, those days are over. So you jump out of the fishbowl and you jump onto the floor. Imagine that moment. Now, what, what happens in that moment? The fish dies, right? The, the fish cannot live out of water. Now, in the same way, the law of God shows us our design. It shows us... Um, how God has made us and what God has made us for. So think about the two tables of the law. Table one is commandments one through four. Those show us how do we relate to God? How do we love God? Then there's table two, that's command five through 10. Those show us how do we love other people? Just as we love ourselves, how do we love our neighbor? So, so first table, how do we love God? Second table, how do we love others? God is showing us what we're made for and how God has made us to live. And when we reject the, these commandments, when we say, you know what, the Ten Commandments are so rigid, they're just, they're, they're arbitrary rules that someone has just sort of made up. That is like us as a fish trying to find life on land. That, that's what that's like. So, so they're not arbitrary rules. They, they line up with the way that God has made us and the world. And secondly, the, the second reason why the, the Ten Commandments, the, the law of God, the do's and the don't do's are a grace is because they lead to human flourishing. They lead to human flourishing. See, when most of us think about laws, let's just say God's laws, really any laws, but, but God's laws in particular, when we think about it, we think they feel arbitrary. So, so they're arbitrary rules. And then the second thing we often think is that restrict our freedom. So someone's just making up rules and, and the purpose of those rules is to restrict our freedom. But that is not how the law of God works. It's, it's, not, it's not arbitrary, they line up with reality and they're not intended to restrict freedom but to protect and to produce your freedom. That, that, that's the, the law of God. So uh, four or five years ago, our oldest two kids, Hannah and Caleb, they were probably like six and seven at the time. And they had bikes and we have a neighborhood that's got a big loop around the neighborhood. And uh, we had, when they, when they were riding their bikes, a simple bike riding rule. And the simple bike riding rule was um, stay between the two stop signs on our street. That, that was the rule. I don't want you all around the neighborhood. I want you on our street. That, that's the really simple bike riding rule. Well, one day I'm working in the garage, they're riding bikes, and I would just do the occasional pop your head out of the garage to make sure they're, they're on the street between the two stop signs. And lo and behold, they were nowhere to be found. And so I grab a chair, I put it right in the middle of my driveway, right by the, the back door of my truck, and I'm just waiting. It's coming. And lo and behold, here they come. They, they come riding back up and everybody's having a great time but me. And I, I say, uh, Hannah and Caleb, where have you been? They say, uh, well, we're just, we've been riding around the neighborhood. And I say, uh, but isn't there like a simple bike riding rule that says, stay on our street? I mean, doesn't that rule exist? And Caleb looks back and says, yeah, but, and before he could get the word but out of his mouth, I grab him. I jerk him off of his bike. I open up the back door of my truck and I throw him in the back door of my truck and slam the door. <laughs> and I leave him there for a minute. And then I open the door and you should have seen the look in his eye. I mean, it's wide. He's trying to figure out what is going on around here. And, uh, and I, I, I get him out of the truck and I set he and Hannah down and I said, let me explain why this rule exists. 
There are bad people in this world, and some of those bad people love to kidnap little boys and little girls just like y'all. That, that's, that's the reason it exists. And Caleb, you're strong, but you're not quite strong enough to keep people from kidnapping you. Did, did you see how easy it was for dad to jerk you off of his bike and throw you in the back of the truck and slam the door? Did, did you see how easy that was? And it'd be just as easy for a bad guy to do that to you. So, so here's why this rule exists. I'm your dad, and if that ever happened, I would wanna see that happen. Because if I see it, then I can come help and they'd have to throw me in the back of their truck before they're gonna be able to throw you in the back of their truck. Do you see that? And then that night, Caleb is our sensitive one. And as we were going to bed, I was tucking him in and he looked at me just with big eyes. And he said, Daddy, I don't wanna be kidnapped. <laughs> and I'm like, Caleb, I don't want you to be kidnapped either. Hence the rule, stay between the stop signs. Now, in the very same way, the commands of God are not out to kill our joy. They are out to keep our joy flourishing. That's what the commands of God are aimed to do. The, the, the you shalls and the you shall nots are not meant to restrict human flourishing, but to produce and protect a place where people just like you and just like me can flourish. That's what the law of God is for. If you look at Deuteronomy chapter 10, verse 12, it's one of my favorite little passages because it just reminds me of that. Moses rehearses some of the do's and the don't do's. And then he says, and all these things I'm commanding you, here's the reason I'm doing that. I'm commanding them for your good. Like the 10 commandments is not God saying, let me do bad to them. Let me restrict them. Let, let me just rob life and joy from them. No, it's God saying, let me lead you to joy. Let, let me show you where joy is going to be found. Let me protect your joy for you. And this is the law as a map. And you might think of it as a treasure map. And on that treasure is the place with the big X marked your, your joy, your, your flourishing. And God is saying the law is the road for you to get there. If you'll stay on my, uh, on my path here, if you'll, if you'll stay in, in the boundaries, the protective boundaries of the law, you will flourish as a human being. This is the law as a map. Do you see it like that? Do, do you see the Ten Commandments as God looking at you and saying, let me help you flourish forever. Let me help you do that. That's the law as a map. But, but the law is not just a muzzle and not just a map. The law is also a mirror. And as a mirror, it shows us just how dark our hearts are. This is Paul's point in Romans 7 when he says it's through the law that he became aware of his sin. He's like, I, I read the law, I saw a list of things to do and don't do, and that's what made me aware of I don't do the things I should do, and I do a lot of things I shouldn't do. It, it made him aware of sin. The, the law forced Paul to face himself. And the Ten Commandments, like no other place in the scriptures, force us to face ourselves. As a mirror, the law is exposing. It shows us what we are and what we aren't. The law shows us that. And this is where we need to be careful of a superficial reading of the Ten Commandments. Uh, when we read them superficially, we will be just like the rich young ruler who when, when, God, uh, when Jesus asked him, hey, how have you done with the law? He's like, man, I've kept them all from birth. And it's like, yeah, right. Yeah, yeah, right. So let me just give you a couple of rules of interpretation to help us make sure we're not on the surface of the Ten Commandments, but we are seeing down into the depths of the Ten Commandments. Here are three different rules for us. How do we interpret the Ten Commandments? Number one, the first rule is the inside out rule. 
the, the inside out rule. For example, commandment number seven, do not commit adultery. It sounds fairly simple, fairly straightforward on the surface, right? Uh, it sounds like it's saying uh, sex is sacred. So, uh, so sex is so sacred that, that it should only be enjoyed inside of a lifelong covenant commitment called marriage. And that's right, it is saying that, but it's saying more than that. Uh, th this command was never meant just to address external actions. It was also meant to address internal desires. This is why Jesus in Matthew chapter five, verses 27 and 28 said, you have heard that it was said, you shall not commit adultery. But I say to you that everyone who looks at a woman with lustful intent has already committed adultery with her in his heart. Jesus is helping us clarify the inside out rule. That, that before we ever break the seventh commandment in deed, we have already broken it in desire with lustful looks, lustful intent. That that's the inside out rule. It's always meant to be about more than your actions. It's meant to be all the way down, get all the way down into your affections. That's the inside out rule. Here, here's rule number two, the two sides rule. For every don't, there's a do. So take commandment number six, you shall not murder. Inside out rule would help us see that we can kill with both our hands by physically killing someone and we can kill in our heart with anger. That's what G how Jesus talks about it in Matthew five. If you're angry with your brother, you committed murder in your heart. You've broken uh, the sixth commandment. That's the inside out rule. But the two sides rule shows us that the point of, of commandment number six is not, hey, don't, don't murder people. That's not the, the main point of the sixth commandment. The main point of the sixth commandment is positive, not negative. It's not, hey, will you just, can you avoid killing people? It's not that. It's all the way to, no, can you proactively get about doing good to people, helping them flourish? Can, can, can you get all the way to the proactive side of figuring out what does it look like to love your neighbor? All the way from, neighbor, covers all the way from enemy to your best friend. Can, can you get about to figuring out what it looks like to do that? that that's the two sides rule. It's, there's not just a don't to, to a commandment. There's also a do. There's both sides. And commandment keeping requires more than just avoiding the bad, right? The, the don't. It also requires a proactive pursuit of the good, the, the do. That, that's the two sides. That's rule number two. And here's rule number three is the, the rule of categories. The rule of categories. Every time you come to a, a commandment in, in the Ten Commandments, it is not just addressing a particular single sin. It, it's addressing the whole category, or you might think of it like the whole species of that particular way of sinning. So let me give you an illustration of this. Take the Ninth Commandment. Do not bear false witness. Uh, the Westminster Longer Catechism, uh, this is question 145 of that catechism. And it asks this, what are the sins forbidden in the ninth commandment? Now, pay attention. It's not just addressing the single thing of bearing false witness. It's the whole category. Listen now, it answers the question. The sins forbidden in the ninth commandment are all disliking of the truth, giving false evidence, calling false witnesses, appearing and pleading for an evil cause, passing an unjust sentence, calling evil good and good evil, rewarding the wicked according to the work of the righteous and the righteous according to the work of the wicked, forgery, concealing the truth, undue silence in a just cause, and holding our peace when injustice calls for confrontation or complaint. 
speaking the truth at the wrong time or maliciously to the wrong end or perverting the truth to a wrong meaning, speaking untruth, lying, slandering, backbiting, tail-bearing, scoffing, reviling, rash, harsh, and partial judging, misconstruing intentions, words, and actions, flattering, prideful boasting, thinking or speaking too highly or too lowly of ourselves or others, aggravating smaller faults, hiding, excusing, or trivializing sins that should be confessed, unnecessary harping on the weaknesses of others, raising false rumors, receiving and continuing evil reports, and stopping our ears against just defense, envying or grieving at the deserved credit of any, rejoicing in another's disgrace or infamy, breach of lawful promises, neglecting such things that are good and practicing ourselves or not hindering what we can in others, such things that earn an ill name. That's just the ninth commandment. Do you see how it's addressing the whole category that is speaking falsely? It's the whole category of sin. So as a mirror, the law is exposing things. It's showing us the purpose of the law as a mirror is to show us our problem. That when we lay our life beside the Ten Commandments, that we have all fallen short of the glory of God. That's its purpose as a mirror, that to show us our problem. See, one of the purposes, the, the law as a mirror, part of what it's aiming to do is to help punch through all of our sort of perceived self goodness. And we all have that. When we think about ourselves, we're like, man, I mean, the truth is when we're standing before God someday, I mean, surely God's gonna like look at me and be okay with me, right? I mean, I, now the idiot down the street, my neighbor, I know God's gonna have a problem with him, but I, me, I mean, I, I think God's gonna be okay with me. See, part of what the law as a mirror is doing is punching through our sort of like superficial self-goodness. It's helping us see that that way of thinking will not work. The Ten Commandments have a way of lifting our eyes beyond human comparison. Am I better than him? If I'm better than him, surely I'm I'm our, no, it's lifting our eyes above human comparison all the way to God. And now we're comparing ourselves with God, not other human beings. That's what the Ten Commandments are out to do. The, The Ten Commandments remind us that one day we are all going to stand before God. Do you know that about your life? One day I'm gonna stand before God, one day you're gonna stand before God. And in that moment, the standard will not be, man, let's line all of them up and see who was the best of them. That's not the standard. In that moment, the standard will be God's perfect law. That will be the standard by which you are judged and I am judged. Just laying the 10 commandments down beside our life and asking the question, have we kept it perfectly? Listen, God, God does not grade on a bell curve. It's not like, hey, the top 20% though, we're, we're all, no, it's, it's not on a bell curve. It's perfection or you do not pass. The Ten Commandments are awakening us to that. They're, they're showing us our problem. In this way, the Ten Commandments are meant to sober us because the truth is there's not a perfect law keeper among us. This is Paul's point in Romans chapter three, verses 19 and 20, when he says, now we know that whatever the law says, it speaks to those who are under the law so that every mouth may be stopped and the whole world may be held accountable to God. 
The law of God is meant to to put a hand over our mouth, to stop all of our self-justification. But I'm better than them. I know in comparison, I definitely am better than that guy. It's it's meant to stop all of our self-justification and convince us that one day we will stand in God's court and when the law of God is laid down beside us, we will be condemned criminals. Verse 20 of Romans 3, for by works of the law, for, for by doing good, by trying to keep the law, for by works of the law, no human being will be justified in his, in God's sight, since through the law comes the knowledge of sin. That that is Paul saying that when one day you arrive in God's court, if you're depending on your law keeping in God's courtroom, you're doomed. If I'm depending on my law keeping, man, but God, I've done those things, I've done these things. If I'm depending on my law keeping, my good deeds on, on that day, I'm doomed. Our good deeds, this is Paul's point, our good deeds will not do that they, they will not suffice on that day. As a mirror, the law helps us see that even on our best days, doing our best deeds, we're still lawbreakers. That the law of God is meant to humble us to the dust. Yet the law is meant, and its aim and its purpose is to put into our hands the one and only thing we need. See, if if you're going to to get the grace of God, if you're going to to get the rescue and redemption of God, there is only one thing you need. There can only be one thing in your hands when you come to God. The only thing that can be in your hands is nothing. And the law of God is meant to give it to us, to humble us to the dust, to bring nothing but our need to God. This is one of the purposes of the law is to show us our problem to show us that the problem is too big for human solutions. And now we get to point three, the law's perfect keeper. Now, my friends, we have arrived at the person of Jesus. We have arrived at the person of Jesus. Jesus tells us in Matthew chapter five, verse 17, do not think that I have come to abolish the law or the prophets. I've not come to abolish them, but to fulfill them. Now, how does Jesus fulfill the law? How how does he do that? There's a lot that we could say about that, but but here is it at its essence. Jesus fulfills the law by keeping it perfectly. That's how he does it, but by keeping it perfectly. What you couldn't do, Jesus did. Everywhere we've stumbled, Jesus stood. Every law that we have broken, Jesus has kept. The purpose of the law is not just to point us to our problem. It is that, but it's more than that. It's not just to point out our problem. It's to turn us and point us to the person of Christ. That's what the law is about. That's what it's doing. Listen to Martin Luther, the reformer, talk about this. He said it this way. Therefore, we do not abolish the law. We're not out to kill the law. We're not out to abolish the law, but we show its true function and use. Namely, that it is a most useful servant impelling us to Christ. When we read the Ten Commandments, we should all be thinking, oh no, what are we gonna do without Jesus, our perfect law keeper? After the law has humbled, terrified, and completely crushed you, so that you are on the brink of despair, then see to it that you know how to use the law correctly. For its function and use is not only to disclose the sin and wrath of God, but also to drive us to Jesus. That's what the law is for. I love how 
Another reformer said it. He said it this way. Moses, the Ten Commandments, the law, Moses had no other intention than to invite all men to go straight to Christ. That the purpose of the law is to humble us to the dust. Yes, to show us our sinfulness, to show us our problem before God. Yes, it's meant to humble us, but even more, it's meant to point us to the person of Jesus. That that's what the law is doing. That, that's what it's about. Its aim is to show us what we are so that it can show us what we need, namely Jesus, our perfect law keeper. This is why Romans 10 verse 4 exists in the Bible. It's an amazing verse. And this is what Paul says in Romans chapter 10, verse four. For Christ is the end of the law. What, what is the goal, the fulfillment, the end of the law? Where is the law taking us? For Christ is the end of the law for righteousness to, to everyone who believes. He is the end of the law. He's the point of it. He's, he's the, the place that the law, all of the do's and don'ts, they're all pointing to Jesus, our perfect law keeper. For Christ is the end of the law for righteousness to everyone who believes. But Paul is saying here in Romans chapter 10, verse four, that one day when you stand before God, here are the only two options. You're gonna be in one of two positions. Position number one is under the law. Position number two is in Christ. Those are the only two options. Under the law, in Christ. And for those under the law, the law of God, the 10 commandments, the two sides rule, the, the rule of categories, the inside out, the, the 10 commandments will be laid beside our life and we will be found a serial law breaker. And we will be condemned as a criminal in the court of God. I mean, it's gonna be the most heartbreaking moment of our life when we receive eternal condemnation under the law. But, but others will be in Christ. And for those in Christ, the law of God will be laid beside our life and we will be found as a serial lawbreaker. And then the life of Jesus, that, that very life that we are inside of, that the life of Jesus will then be laid over our serial lawbreaking and God the Father will just see Jesus' perfect law keeping. And in that moment, rather than being condemned forever, we will have the most heart-thrilling discovery, the most heart-thrilling moment of our life when God the Father looks at us, all those who are in Christ, and says, welcome into my kingdom, into, into flourishing, into this incredibly bright future that I've prepared for you. Welcome forever. That's for all of those in Christ. So how do you go from under the law to in Christ? Those last four words of Romans chapter 10, verse four tell us, to everyone who believes. Belief or faith in the Bible is coming to God with empty hands. It's not a, hey God, I'm coming bringing my good things that I really think have secured a right standing before you. It, no, no that's, that's coming with things in your hand. Coming with empty hands is the moment where you finally have given up on you. It, it's the moment when you know you are so bad that before God, you have no chance. 
That's coming with the empty hands of faith. That, that's, that's believing, that, that's coming to God knowing my, my, my deeds are so bad. Even on my best day, my, see, my deeds are so bad that I have no other option than to bank on the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus, my perfect law keeper. And to everyone who comes like that with empty hands, having given up on themselves, Jesus looks at them and says, finally, 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 here is someone that, is, that can be rescued. Here is someone that can be welcomed in forever. Finally, welcome. Welcome into my kingdom forever. I'm going to give you a new heart, and with those new hearts, you're going to have new capacities to follow the treasure map of my commands to your flourishing for all eternity. That's where the law points us, to, to Jesus, our perfect law keeper. Will you pray with me? I wanna give you just a moment to allow the Spirit of God to press into you what would be most helpful. The most important question of our lives is, are we under the law or are we in Christ? Are we under the law? Are we in Christ? Forever hinges on that. A billion years from now hinges on that. Are we under the law or in Christ? And for some, the. The Lord is working in your life right now. He's wooing and he's calling and he's speaking to you. And this is the moment that you put your faith in Jesus, that you take that decisive step, that you turn from your sin that you know disqualifies you before God and you turn from all those good things that you think somehow qualify and make you acceptable to God. You turn from all of that and you come to Jesus with the empty hands of faith and you offer your life to God with empty hands saying, here I am, God rescue me. I am banking on the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus, my perfect law keeper. I've given up on myself and I'm banking on Jesus, save me. And if that's you right now in this room communicating that to God, God is rescuing, he is welcoming you into the family and he is calling you one of his. You have gone from under the law to in Christ. And if that's you this morning, if this is, if this is your decisive moment to make that decisive step toward Jesus, just with every head bowed, would you just look up at me and raise your hand just where I can see you there, if that's you. Just stay where you are. Just make eye contact with me and raise your hand. Yeah. Yeah, I see you. Any others in the room? This is your moment. Take that decisive step toward Jesus. Any others? Okay, if you raised your hand, Here's the most important thing you can do this morning.
is to make sure you come and meet some of our prayer team and pastors down front for post-service prayer. We would love to know about what the Lord's doing in your life. We'd love to celebrate that with you, begin to walk that journey with you. So, oh God, we thank you for saving grace. And Father, I pray that you would enthrall every one of our hearts this morning with Jesus, our perfect law keeper. For Jesus, our righteousness, the one who stood where we stumbled. God, would we leave here with a new and refreshed sense of, that's the grace of our God. It's in your good name we ask it. Amen. Thank you for listening to this message from Stonegate Church. A podcast is never meant to replace gathering with your church to hear the preaching of the Bible. So we want to encourage you to be part of a local church family. We meet every Sunday at 9 and 11 a.m. and would love for you to join us as we enjoy Jesus together.